Welcome to the Sailing Into Oblivion podcast, where we sit down with everyday people who do extraordinary things. I'm your host, Jerome Rand. Hey, everybody. So today, I get to sit down again with my cousin, Jerome, the younger, handsomer version of myself, I suppose. Much more learned in the ways of wine. And we talk a little bit about wine, but we pretty much go off into... Uh, the universe as far as we possibly can and and sort of spitball around around the place. So it's kind of an enjoyable uh what we what we dubbed as sort of junk food conversation, which can be a lot of fun as long as you don't eat it all the time. Other than that, uh the Patreon family continues to grow and I cannot stress enough how awesome that is and how much I really, really, really appreciate all the support and the emails that I'm getting. Just been fantastic. Uh absolutely couldn't couldn't be happier. So as I always say, if you want to support the podcast, head over to Patreon and the link will be in the description. And if you just want to reach out to the show, throw me a few questions or uh, anything like that, just head over to sailingintooblivion.com and you can contact the show right from the website. Without further ado, here comes Jerome. Well, as in an offer for that? Yep. Just spam texts. Ah, you know, I don't understand how I guess I don't understand how they get your number. I think it's because I now when you're like buying things through like Square, like yeah. online, um, I think you have to put in your number for like for like Shopify and then it just stuff. Gets yeah, sold to sent the out. Bidder. Yeah, because yeah, I mean I will get text messages, everything from uh, fake bank notices, which somehow they get my. They figure out which bank I use mm -hmm. uh, to, uh, I don't know, just all sorts of garbage and a lot of political stuff, too. I don't get any political things really? somehow. Yeah, not really. Sometimes closer to November. Yeah, I might, yeah. Um, and I don't know if it's like my number is still a 317 area code and Indiana is a pretty red state. Oh, So like right. <laughs> all the, like, the left-leaning like uh, groups are like just don't waste your time on anything yeah seven right <laughs> oh that's interesting i never thought about it that way because i mean michigan's i don't know if michigan is actually a swing state or not i don't think it's a swing state but it's i don't know it's teeters. purple it's got it's like purple. these pockets yeah. of, of red and blue well i think when you when you look at it as as you look at most of the country with the red and blue map you know the in michigan especially it's it's all blue around detroit where the vast majority of our population is and then it's red almost everywhere else. Yeah. I don't know. It's 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 always pretty crazy to look at that that type of information and that actual map because you, if you know if it was on land mass you'd be like, well, geez, it's all red. Yeah. Except for these little pockets of blue, but those pockets population of blue are centers. All the populations. Yeah. I don't know. It, it's always interesting. But what, what's that old saying like about statistics and lies or something like that? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Gosh, I wish I could remember it. But basically, you know, you can make any, you can make statistics tell you what you want. Yeah. I guess. I mean, numbers. I'm not a numbers guy. Hey, I'm a sailor. <laughs> but now, you know, on that topic, though, really, uh, so you've been up here in Michigan for five days. Yes. Of thorough, peaceful relaxation. Oh, the chipmunks are back. I got I heard them. Bring the dog up here. <laughs> chipmunks are gone. They sense it, and now the chipmunks are all cruising around. Um. 
Sorry. So five days up here yep. and in the serene wilderness area of northern Michigan. Yep. And now it's back to the big city. Yep. Yeah, we um back to Babylon. Oh my gosh. Yeah. We um we land around like a seven thirty, seven forty five ish probably. We'll get back in the apartment by nine. Yeah. Um I I don't want to leave. <laughs> yeah, all right. Uh, well, it's understandable. I mean the pace the pace of life here compared to the pace of life even at you guys are in Brooklyn, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it Brooklyn is is that on Manhattan? No, no. no it's so not. it so it's Manhattan's the island. Yeah. But we're only realistically like a 15 minute subway right away. Oh, like okay, to, like okay. door to door I can get to Canal Street like right in Chinatown in like 15 minutes. Right, right. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. And you like New York? Uh there are parts of New York that I like. Yeah. <laughs> and I love where we're living now. We might have talked about this on the on one of the previous episodes that we've done, but where we are feels very residential. Yeah. You know, it's not like when we were in Chicago, we were on the ground floor of a house that had two apartments and the second apartment was upstairs, but it had like all these like, single family homes yeah. side by side. So like individual structures in Brooklyn, it's just a, a solid wall of brownstones. Yeah. And they're only three stories tall. Is it like that's, that's essentially shoot. Like the intro, or or like the the Huxtable's house, probably Cosby Show, yeah, same sort of thing. Where yeah. it's all essentially one building, but they're all separate, exactly separate homes, and they're really old. Like I, they they and they have character and crown molding, all that, and some of them are single family where you just have like three floors and a and a garden level kind of floor, so like one family can live there. It's and it's just like it's thin, but it's tall. Yeah, yeah. What I don't know who did it, but in our building. It's just again like three apartments, one on top of the other. The ground floor has a like a basement. They have access to the backyard patio area, uh-huh. um, but they've just split one house into three apartments. Oh, okay, and so we okay. just have the middle middle one. Right, right. Oh, you guys are sandwiched. Mm-hmm. But you said that's actually kind of nice because you get the the leaves of the trees, not the trunks. Yeah, and and, and and the there's obviously a little bit of traffic, but it's not right outside of our window, so we're a little bit removed from that. And like the lights that come with a lot of the traffic too. So yeah, and we get a little bit of natural light. It's of all the places I used to live in Manhattan. Francesca used to live in Manhattan. I lived in Williamsburg back in 2009 when I first moved to New York City and immediately left. Um, yeah, where where exactly is Williamsburg? Because I've heard that before. It's a little bit further north than where we are. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, and there's a subway line called the L that that directly connects. And I don't know enough about the history of Williamsburg, but it's it's it became very trendy in like 2005, 2010, I think. I'm not a New York City historian, but would if, that be considered like suburbs? No, no, the suburbs of New York would probably be like areas of New Jersey, like Hoboken and Jersey City, and those might even be not New really. Yeah, and like Yonkers. I've only seen that movie. Yeah, exactly. I'm just trying to name drop. Yeah, no, nailed it. <laughs> I think that's where it's like kind of where you can commute into the city from, like a, a like a more residential neighborhood or smaller town. Right, right. Yeah, New York's funny because there's like there's 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 definitely this like metropolitan urban center, and then there's like some sprawl outwards, and then you get up into Western Connecticut and the Westchester and Dutchess counties in New York, and then these quaint little towns. Yeah, yeah. I've I've seen some of those, like kind of cruising up and down the East Coast as much as I had in the mm-hmm. past, but uh, I've never been out to Long Island. Long Island, I haven't really been either. I know a lot of 
like restaurants and wineries and towards the end with the Hamptons and you know there's a level of affluence that you yeah. get out there. Um, the wine that's coming out of Long Island is really exciting too. It's really good and it's getting better every year, which is really great. Well, they have vineyards out there. Lots of them, yeah, and they're becoming popular to visit. You'll be able to find them more and more across the country, and they're with with like global warming and climate change. You're actually getting longer growing seasons where you're able to to really you know make make really good wine that's not just cold weather wine that actually has like a lot of depth oh, and substance it's great right, right 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 and like the longer that the that that the vineyard like the older that the vines are then the more kind of complex fun wines you can make as well so it's a really exciting area for for wine out in long island have they been doing that for a long time yeah again i'm not a, i'm not I don't remember a lot of the history of of new york state wine i know that up in the finger lakes it's much older because they have um a lot of immigrants that came from like Germany and, and Europe that wanted to go back and um, not go back to Europe, but go back to like the winemaking roots that their family might have had over there. Oh, okay. And the climate is similar enough and the geology is similar enough for them to get back to making things like Riesling, which is super popular in Germany and, and you know, all of, all of those kind of classic grapes. It's a, it's a, kind of all about finding that right balance between what the soil's like, what the weather's like, and then where the people that are making the wine actually came from, where, what their inspiration yeah, is. Yeah, right, when their they're sort of knowledge base, too, you know, that family that family history that's going down and the information being passed yeah. down from one generation to the next. Yeah, and Europe has been making wine for obviously so much longer than the States, you know, and their, their history is so deep, and we're relatively young in it, and we're getting, we're getting better and better. Napa... And Sonoma and California has been since like the seventies, just getting getting bigger and bigger. And then places like Oregon have have really grown. Places farther south in California, like Santa Barbara, have become much more popular just in their own right. And they've mm-hmm. become areas that are known for a particular kind of wine. Well, because and that's the environment mm-hmm. that they're trying to grow that stuff in, right? And isn't that? I mean, for I I know like it's like Chardonnay is huge there, right? Mm-hmm. And that environment of sort of, what is it? It's like dry, dry soil, but you've got constant like mist and moisture coming in from the Pacific. From the yeah, closer that you are to Sonoma Coast, you definitely have more, more like cooling breeze and moisture and things coming into the vineyards. And then the and then the farther inland that you go, the more protected that you are. Oh, and okay, so you're okay. and you, but you're right. You're constantly trying to figure out what vines go best with certain soil types, like clay versus mud versus sand versus rocks and gravel yeah and then the way that they respond better to like sunlight or the difference in temperature between day and night and things like that and in california the history kind of was after after the 70s cabernet pinot noir chardonnay sauvignon blanc and they kind of took their cues from france and for the last 10 15 years or so there's been a little bit more of a Wild West feeling, I think, where they're really starting to experiment more. Oh, with bringing coming in, into their own. Yeah, and, and finding fun grapes that and vines that haven't had a very big commercial presence in the States, but still would grow really well in these areas. Like like interesting white white wine grapes from from Italy, like um like Tokai Friulano and Ribola Jala that you've probably never seen on a label before. It doesn't make any Didn't even sense. really understand what you just exactly. said, <laughs> but that's okay. Yeah. Well, does the, let me ask you, does the uh, sort of the environment 
in Italy where they grow a lot of the stuff mimic or is it very similar to that of like some parts of California? I think some parts, yeah. I the the way that I personally just as my my general practice is that I really want wine that does have a sense of place. So even if they are trying to mimic or emulate or be inspired by these like classic wine regions in Italy and France and Spain, there's such an abundance of like California sunshine that I don't want it to give up that. I want it to be a product of where right, it comes right. from. But also for me personally, my I like wine that's a little more restrained in alcohol. It's a little bit lighter on the on the new oak use that has a lot of complexity to it. But I don't want to feel like they're trying to just make French wine in California. And I think a lot of people, a lot of good good winemakers and wine producers are thinking that that same way, which is really great. It's how to how to embrace like where we are and and this area, but cut your own path. Kind of yeah, a little yeah. bit. Well, and I I definitely agree with you. I mean, when that's one of the pure joys of of when you guys visit is that there's there's sort of this wine experience that goes into every meal and it's it's not just like well this is this type of wine it's like this is the region and i think i've gotten that a whole lot more this time where yeah you feel like oh we're we're we might as well be in the hills of uh you know <laughs> italy or, yeah. or we'd be in champagne and yeah. you know it's kind of i don't know it, it is kind of cool to sort of take it just beyond its physical form but also into what it's actually representing and where it's representing you yeah. know it, it it's bringing its little trademark, its fingerprint, if you will, of where it was born and grown and made, and then, boom. I think that's exactly it. it. Yeah, the, you can get really specific into the vineyard, like the the, the actual specific like plot of land within this smaller region, within this region, within this bigger region, within this country. Yeah. And the more specific that you get, like there's only a limited amount of wine and grapes that are being grown in that little tiny vineyard, so you know, with supply and demand, those bottles are super expensive. Yeah. Versus the ones that are just like Sonoma Coast Pinot Noir, which is still delicious, but you're getting it from this much bigger plot. Right, You know, right. so you can really get specific and find like individual vineyards and then smaller regions and then and then larger areas. The specificity sometimes will correlate with, uh, what's the right word? Obviously price, but also the care that sometimes these winemakers are putting into it. Like they'll be very, they'll be much more thoughtful about which, which vineyards, once they start going through the fermentation process, which ones see like the brand new oak barrels that they bought for this season and which ones yeah. kind of left over get like maybe the larger oak or they get aging concrete kind of, they start having to make Who these decisions. Who are spoil this A year? little bit kind of, yeah. And, and what, you know, each vineyard might have a different exposure to the sun. Or might be cooler over there than it is over here. So, well, and it could have been like an exceptionally rainy summer, exactly. or something like exactly. that. Exactly, or like a longer growing period where the grapes are like phenolically right, but they're not as sugar heavy yet because it was yeah, like cloudy or rainy or something. So they might that they, they might be like smaller berries, and so let's find the the sites that had a lot more sun exposure and make sure that we really get the most out of that. Yeah. And then maybe use the rest. We still have to make wine because we still have to pay for all this stuff, but we'll kind of like declassify it from one specific prominent vineyard to, we'll just make up like a, we'll, we'll name it something else and we'll be able to, and it'll still be delicious. The fun thing about when you're finding producers that you like with wine, and I think this goes with everything, mm-hmm. the, the, the ones that are really killing it at the high end generally don't let their 
quality standards lapse on the low end. Yeah. So yeah. even their like entry level or lower lower priced wines by the bottle are still going to be great. Right. It just kind of depends on what you what you want, and then you can kind of level up or just keep their keep their base. It'll still be good. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah. If 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 a place is putting out some just quality stuff, it's not like it would be wouldn't be a good thing for them to be like, well, let's just make a little uh, exactly. box wine over here and just exactly. there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what do you usually drink on the boat, though? Because I don't think that you have a lot of wine. No, but I, I will tell you, I took, on the last big attempt, uh, I took about 10 or 12 boxes of wine. Really? Yeah. I didn't realize that. Now, I thought in my head, I was like, okay, I have these big bags of wine because when we go camping up north, you know, we're canoeing. You take the wine bag right out of the box mm -hmm. and you're throwing it around. Granted, we typically peel through them in three to four days. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, literally, they're getting chucked around. They're hitting the ground, all this sort of stuff. Yeah, so yeah. I, I sort of thought, well, I'm safe here. These things are going to be totally fine. Not so. Really? I had them. I kept them in the box, which probably was mistake number one, I guess. I don't really know. but And I had them stacked and really secured in the boat. And one after another, they started leaking. Oh, no. Yeah. And it produced uh, an amount of mold oh, no. on the boat that uh, I've never seen. Wow. I mean, explosive. Wow. Explosive mold. And it, I think one of the things partly that's responsible for that was the cardboard because, you know, I didn't know that it was leaking mm -hmm. uh, until it was way too late. You know, you start to smell it. But by that point, you know the back the back edges of these boxes were all saturated and just completely exploded with mold, wow. and which then spread like wildfire around the boat. Yeah, um, you know, on all the wood and everything. Yeah. Like that. Oh my and gosh. I it was really odd because you know I I like one would break and then I would take it out and I would either try and drink as much of it as I could because <laughs> I didn't want to waste it. Yeah. Um, but I'd have to move it and move it and finally I got rid of all the cardboard and then stashed them all in the bottom of the fridge because, you know, they kind of move. They have, I guess, essentially it's a form of what's called free surface effect. So on on ships and like you can consider a big uh, lobster, lobster boat. Mm -hmm. And when they're out there, say they have a big like 400 gallon fuel tank now usually what they'll do is they'll section it off into like three or four sections and that way you're not like when when you're half when the fuel is half gone you'd have two empty holds but then the other two are full mm -hmm. free surface effect the problem with it is if it was all one tank and it's half full every time the boat tilts to one side oh, yeah. all the fuel goes to that side and continues the tilt yeah and in, in really bad conditions, that, that can happen. And what they'll do sometimes is they'll flood open tanks mm -hmm. with, with salt water if the weather gets really, really bad. Mm -hmm. um, but so essentially these, even though if you have like six or seven of these five-liter bags of wine, I don't need them rolling around exactly. all over the boat. Yeah. So they're secured in there. But, boy, they just they kept leaking and leaking and leaking. And um, I remember one night thinking that i had sort of done a pretty good job and an led headlamp i go down below and i sort of shine it forward and i look just on the side of the wall and it's like a fuzz oh, and i no. couldn't see it during the day but with that led light it it uh, that fluorescent ish yeah. thing illuminated and i started peering around and i mean it was like my entire boat was covered in what mold. What do you What do you do? Is it like a homemade vinegar water? Spray? Yeah, I did that, and then I also had um, 
Oh, some Clorox and bleach. Okay. And, you know, the the problem is both of those, you're sitting down there in a very uh, unventilated space. You know, you've only got like one little thing open because you can't, you can't have everything open unless it's really calm out there. Mm-hmm. And and I, I remember at one point hitting it with some bleach, trying to just get everywhere. And you have to water it down. Um, I've heard rumors that if you use straight bleach on it, it's sometimes the mold will actually be able to, I don't know, somehow protect itself from it and just like hibernate until Ugh. it is all gone. And then they come back to life. I'm not sure. It just seemed to keep coming back and back and back. And eventually when I got back uh, on the dock after 80 days or whatever, Mm -hmm. I got an ozone machine. Yeah. And that wiped it out. And I actually have, you know, when I left this time to come up here, I left it running in the boat for like three days. And then right before I get back. And because it seems like ozone's the only thing that really can penetrate into, you know, every surface. Cause in a boat, you know, you've got underneath the floor, which you can't access every little bit. Right. And if you miss one little grove of mold, it's just instantly spreading again. Those yep. spores and all that sort of stuff. I don't know. It's fungus and mold is absolutely, it's terrifying. It's amazing. And it's incredible all yeah. in one. I don't know. Do they ever make any uh, mushroom wine? Well, I mean, maybe not mushroom, not 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 mushroom wine that I would call it. But <clears throat> if you look at some of the dessert wine, those are made as mold starts to develop on the grapes. Oh, really? Yeah, it's called noble rot. Oh, please tell me about this. <laughs> so, I mean, some of the most expensive wine in the world is made this way. Really? Yeah. So in Bordeaux, there's this dessert wine called Sauternes, and it's 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 made when the grapes kind of start rotting, and these two rivers combine, and there's a lot of humidity in the air, mm-hmm. and like kind of a little bit, if I, if I recall correctly, because I could be kidding. It's been a minute since I've studied all this That's stuff. That's all right. But eventually, this noble rot will start developing on the grapes, and it'll actually kind of start getting them all moldy, and it'll pierce the skin, so you have a lot less yield. And eventually, when when you get to that final wine, you will kind of one of the telltale signs of the like one of the traits of Sauternes is this kind of sweet mushroomy. Really, aroma to it, yeah. And when it a mold is a fungus, mm-hmm. right? So, in in reality, I mean, isn't when the fermentation process is going on with all wine, is mold playing a part in it, or no? Just just the type you're talking about. M- mold will only, and again, it's been a minute since I've studied this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So the mold is, is botrytis cinerea, or I don't know if that's how you pronounce it. Maybe it's cinerea, but it's botrytis. Yeah. Um, and then w- once fermentation starts, I'm pretty sure that the yeast will kill anything else in there, or the alcohol will. Oh, right. So okay. it's so I mean sometimes it's almost like um, there's a lot of fires out in the West where mm. where they're making wine, and so every and it's becoming more of an annual regular thing, and so a lot of people are like oh it's gonna be like a smoky vintage or something like that. But generally the the what I've the way that it's been explained to me is that the yeast and the fermentation process pretty much knock all those like oh, other wow. things out of yeah. Oh, okay, gotcha. But the yield is so much less just because as the mold kind of starts attacking these grapes and it punctures the skin, it's and, eating it. Yeah, and the juice is getting evaporated, so you don't have these like big plump grapes anymore. You have these like shriveled up moldy yeah, grapes, yeah. and that's what you're making the sauterne out of. Wow. Yeah. Okay, and that's you said that's a dessert wine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's really it's it gets pretty sugary. 
Is it have a higher alcohol content? Lower, actually. Oh, lower, yeah. really? I see how it's a dessert wine then. So, you know, because isn't dessert essentially made as like a, a little pick-me-up? You know, Probably. You just eat this big meal like here, sweet too. take some sugar, yeah. and uh, get on with your yeah, night. Same way as coffee, night. like, ugh. I'm, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going down. Off. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> I need to at least be able to walk home. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's it's been I don't know why, but like mushrooms and everything have have sort of been on my mind lately. And I I actually before we were up here, I was watching these. I don't know who does it, uh, but on YouTube it's called After School, and it's I don't know they they take they take clips uh, from you know monologues and and conversations and things like that. And there's an artist that's like drawing out what they're talking about, so it's it's interactive, both just listening to it, but also watching cool. watching on the screen. And uh, they talk about the stoned ape theory, and then the one I was watching today was about panspermia, essentially that you know life life could be seeded from other planets. You know, life didn't start here; it yeah. came here on a rock. And they they're talking about how lichen. Some forms of lichen, you know, they've tested they can, you know, live in space for 18 months just in outer space on a rock sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, and they think, well, geez, there's no reason something like this couldn't have been on a planet that got hit by something and then blown out. And then, you know, a million years later, it lands on our little rock Yep, and then goes. But the, the interesting part, and the, it's pretty far-fetched for sure, but it's essentially saying that uh, mushrooms are actually using us as our as a way to ensure that they get transported more and more interplanetary. So oh, really like they're yeah. the they're the main they're the main they're character. The main thing. Yeah. yeah. We're a little side character. Exactly. Because yeah. <laughs> they have, you know, there's there's lots of examples in nature where fungus will take over like insects and control the insect yep. into doing exactly what it wants. And there's creepy pictures of like an ant-looking thing that's got two mushrooms like growing out I of know. it. And you're like, oh, you know, you just think about, like, if I had a mushroom growing out of my arm, I'd probably pick that thing off of there pretty quick. But <laughs> in any event, uh, the idea is that, you know, part of of this whole thing is is where it gets into the psychedelic mushrooms. Mm -hmm. And there's, I don't know, have you ever heard of the stoned ape theory? No. Okay, well, I had an idea of what you said it was when you first when you first mentioned it, but I don't actually know. It's, I to me, it sounds like you know when a bear finds like fermenting grapes, yeah, or fermenting fruit, and he eats it, and he gets like a little little hammered. And he, but I don't know if that's actually what you're referring to. It, 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 essentially, it, it kind of is. So it's it. There's basically again, these are all just theories, but they're they're just so interesting. Um, but basically, you know, these certain types of of psychedelic mushrooms have psilocybin or, or whatever and i'm i'm no expert by any means mm -hmm. um but they develop you know 20 million years ago or whatever in africa on the plains and essentially the theory is that you know our ancestors when they're very very basic just animals uh start all of a sudden eating these things and when you eat them, your neurons are going bananas and your brain is going crazy. And all of a sudden, you know, you feel good. And even if it's just an animal at that point, like a monkey or whatever, it's sort of like, well, there's more of that stuff. And they go and get more. I mean, mm -hmm. if you ate something and it made you feel good, you would go and eat more of it mm -hmm. and more and more. And then you go 
a hundred years and then you go a thousand years and then you go a million years. And if, if the theory is true that, that taking some of these, uh, sort of psychotropic mushrooms kind of can change the, the makeup of your brain and make more neurons and more connections and all sort of stuff and open your mind up, you know, it'd be almost like, it's almost like as if they were the key to snapping out of running completely on instinct. Mm -hmm. Like that's, I, that's how I've sort of always thought, you know, the difference between animals and people is that animals run on instinct. They're doing, they've, they've got, you know, they've got to eat, they've got to reproduce and they've got to stay alive. Right. And that's just instinct and it just goes and goes and goes. But then you have, uh, and, and I don't think people are alone. I think, you know, dolphins and whales and I think there's some some other animals out there that for sure have have breached that line and, and sort of communicate and they actually probably have thoughts and, you know, whatever. But, yeah, so essentially after enough time goes by, that may be what, basically kicked our evolutionary branch way off from the norm really and just kept us going and going and going and this you know it's it's definitely an idea because it's so hard to think of like why why are we different than all the rest you know what i mean yeah and if you've if you've ever taken any of that stuff i think it's it it's a little more relatable because you're sort of like yeah whoa like <laughs> I, it was like a doorway into another dimension, right. you know, and I, I know they say that about other stuff and I'm not well versed in, in many of these, these drugs or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But, um, I don't know. It's just an interesting theory that, uh, that fungus could be sort of the thing that's driving it. But I guess, uh, to sort of transition those two or, or bridge that gap. So you got the stone date theory. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then in this sort of transpermia sort of thing of where the fungus is actually just controlling us, one of the things that they talk about is, you know, maybe the mushrooms basically knew they were like, okay, these are our best chance to get these, (laughs) to get us off onto the next planet. And so let's start producing these chemicals that when they eat it, that expands their minds even more, makes them smarter, makes them wonder all this sort of stuff. And, uh, one of the pretty far-fetched correlations that they make is, you know, back in the days of, um, you know, the, the Greek philosophers and all that sort of stuff, Mm -hmm. when they were making beer, I guess it had some sort of psychotropic, uh, drug in it. And it was, it had to have been, you know, you had to water it way, way down, not because the alcohol, because I think at that point it was only pretty much beer and some sort of wine, Mm -hmm. but, because its effects were so powerful. And so you get this this crazy birth of knowledge in all the, it's not the Renaissance, but the classical era, you mm-hmm. know, of all the philosophers and, and all that sort of stuff. And then nothing for a while, but then the Renaissance, they sort of theorized that, you know, maybe they sort of tapped back into that elixir. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden you get this explosion of new ideas and all this stuff, even even with all the suppression from, you know, the church and all the yeah. all the stuff that was going on back in like the fourteen, fifteen hundreds, if that's the time frame. Again, no <laughs> expert. Um, but then, you know, right now you're getting a bit of a surge in all that sort of stuff. Uh, or not right now yet, but uh in the nineteen like sixties mm-hmm. when the big psychedelic 
sort of movement was going on, and that's when our our sort of uh, our it seemed like everybody was looking towards the stars. Everybody's yeah. Like, Let's launch some rockets. Every once in a while you see that Reddit post of like the early 1900s was like, we just learned how to fly a plane. Yeah. Like the Wright brothers and the like, like paper and sticks. It looks so rudimentary. And then you fast forward a hundred years and it's satellites. Yeah. And right. And space station. Well, and some would say, you know, all of a sudden the human race got a, a big acid trip and now we're building rockets and we're shooting off to the nearest rock. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, Nixon comes in and the war on drugs and boom, 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 boom. It's all illegal and psychedelics take a huge drop. And then you get to present day and there's places, Oregon, California, Michigan are, are legalizing the use of or working towards legalizing the use of like magic mushrooms, things like that. It's being recognized more as like treatments. Exactly. And now that it's getting a little bit more in the mainstream, mm-hmm. you know, we're trying to go out and colonize Mars again. <laughs> and here's the thing, you know, if you think about it that way with an open brain, it's sort of like... This was the mushrooms plan the whole the time. The mushrooms plan is coming <laughs> true. We are being completely controlled by these this fungi yeah. that wants to be able to ride a rocket to the next uh yep. to the next planet. Yep. I don't know. I watched that this morning and I thought that was so interesting. First I was we have just, to we have to teach the humans how to invent a wheel. Yep. Then we got we got like, we gotta domesti- break them out. Domesticate horses, do some farming. It's going to take a couple cities. billion years, yeah. but hey, we got time. We're just fungus. Yep. And then really quickly, like industrial revolution, yeah, age, right. age of enlightenment, cars, space, yeah, boom. <laughs> I don't know. It's it's so fun to just think of that stuff. I I think you know I I always seem to go back to you know when I was a teenager and we'd have these long conversations about stuff like that. It seems like somewhere along the line you hit a certain age, and those sort of fade away. Mm-hmm. And then I don't know. Lately, I felt like. They're sort of coming back. Maybe it's because of this podcast. I don't know, but it's, uh, I don't know. Sometimes it's fun to ponder, ponder things. And I think Sven and I were talking and we had said there another quote that I don't know, uh, (laughs) but it's like stupid people talk about other people. Smart people talk about politics or something. And then geniuses talk about ideas. Something like that, yeah. There's yeah, like, there's that echelon of like, you know, how, how are you going to spend your conversating time? Yeah, on something kind of gossipy or whatever, or is it going to be a worthwhile like, ah, let's solve a problem? You know, yeah. let's 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 investigate. And there's something to be said for for you know just sitting there and uh, and I guess talking like movies or whatever. You know, it's I I I would call that sort of the junk food of conversation, mm-hmm. which is sometimes really good. Yeah, tastes great. <laughs> Love doing it. You know, it's it's fun, and it can't always be you know a freaking five course meal, salads, and all the good stuff all the time. Yeah, right. Sometimes you just need popcorn. Sometimes you just need a little popcorn. salt and butter. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But I don't know that 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 whole theory and stuff. When I see those, it just it's nice to kind of think. It made me think so much that that I got up and I just started walking around, you know, the woods around here, and I'm just looking at everything like a little suspect. <laughs> and I saw some mushrooms, and I kind of looked at them, and I was like, hmm. I mean, it didn't change anything in my brain really, but. Uh, I don't know. It is. Uh, it it w- wouldn't that be crazy if 
some some point of time way down the line like we sort of figured it all out we find the mother spore and yeah she, well she was thinking about it the whole time yeah and it basically yeah it's like holy cow like <laughs> we found fungus planet and and they can talk to us and oh my gosh this is what they've been doing yeah this is crazy I don't know. It's like good sci-fi. Like maybe that it's like War of the Worlds and The Expanse and things like that. That like I think that the the for me there's two real ways that science fiction like that can go. And one really is like like um like the movie The Sixth Sense. Yeah. Where there's this like really excellent mystery and it turns out that it it does have this like kind of mystical magic quality where the kid really does see dead people yeah. and surprise is like no that it, it actually exists was that m night Shyamalan? Yeah. yeah yeah it was yeah i'm and literally like, sitting here and i was about to say before you even said that i was like it's kind of like you know if we discovered this planet it'd be like the end of an m like m night Shyamalan yeah. movie or like signs too like signs like no the aliens are real yeah, you know? yeah, like yeah. There's lots of other messages and things. Our especially brains in are connected right now. I think so. The it, two drones. This wavelength. Yeah, right. But then there's and and those are like no the 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 magic is actually exists. Like there there are aliens. This kid is special. Like it's, yeah, yeah. And then there's the other way. I think his his other movie, The Village, where they were actually I haven't seen that movie in a oh very really long oh time. you've seen it though. But like when it came out, it was like Mark Wahlberg. Smokes. But wasn't the ending the 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 big reveal was like it's a fake spoiler town. alert? Yeah, thank you. Jeez, oh, barely made that in. You did, but wasn't that you could just mute it? And well, post. and it's it, I think <laughs> isn't there like a rule of you know once once a movie gets to a certain age? Yeah, but it a is few always years. good to say yeah. Spo yeah. Spoiler alert! But the anyway, village. but the ending goes the other direction. It's like super mundane. There wasn't any magic. It was all kind of like fake and and arbitrary and set up. Right, right. You know, and so those those are kind of the two different ways that those kinds of movies can go, and they're really exciting. I think that a, the the big spore planet. I don't know if that would be like the cathartic payoff, you know, or if it would be at the end of the Matrix trilogy with the big machine there. Yeah, like yeah, the, right. The, oh, it would be kind of similar to that. I wonder if. Oh, I mean, yeah, you take the Matrix, switch the machines out with mushrooms. Mm -hmm. Wow. And that's where we're living right now. Somebody tell James Cameron he could rip <laughs> that one off too. Yeah. Like stop doing Sorry, Avatar. James, love your work, bud. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, after Avatar, he should do this and then yeah, he should retire. Right? This should be his <laughs> And you wouldn't even have to change that much in the title instead yeah. of the Matrix, the mushroom. Well, I think that's where movies and stories can kind of align themselves with like philosophy and science fiction ideas, right? It's like oh, you're, absolutely. you're telling the, sometimes like, yeah, talking about Avengers movies all day is like yeah, serotonin popcorn yeah, discussions. Yeah, it's, it's great, and it's mind-blowing, and it's entertaining and all that. Yeah. But it's not going to... I don't know. I suppose even that, it sort of makes me think a little bit about, I don't know, like people coming together as a whole to solve problems. Mm -hmm. But it's not like when I watch, I don't know, Shawshank Redemption or just something that has a whole lot more meat to it. Yeah. Rather than, but it's a very localized visual. human story. Like yeah. Shawshank, like Andy Dufresne's story has nothing to do with anybody else on the planet. It's yeah, just exactly. Andy and Red. Well, do you know that I I saw precisely ninety percent of that movie like a handful of times mm -hmm. before I ever saw the whole thing. Really? Yeah, and I was in college, and 
somebody they were watching it we were at a buddy's house and uh, i was like oh yeah i've seen some of this and the guy's like what do you mean some of it and i was like oh, i've never seen the end of this like, it was on like so tnt all, all the time like, you just turn it on and pick and it up he, where he left off and dude he looked at me like you're gonna sit here and watch this yeah. and and i was like oh yeah all right whatever and jaw agape right i i've never like i can't believe that i watched so much of that and never saw how it ended and how much of a crazy twist that is and i was just like wow yeah wow i was blown away shawshank redemption's incredible (sighs) i love that movie there there really is some 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 absolutely great stuff and like i said i mean when you know your brother pat does he go by pat or patrick I think by either. Either I think most people call him Pat. Okay. Yeah, and he had brought up uh, Snowpiercer Mm -hmm. and how he really enjoyed it, and I think it was sort of a a really a thinking movie for him because it's showing so much. And I, you know, I don't know. I must not have been in the right mood when I saw it because I was just like, this is like garbage sci-fi train. What? Yeah. With like Captain America and like sort of green and. I, but after he had talked about it so much, uh, I ended up going back and watching it with a little more analytical mind. Yeah. And then I was like, wow, okay, so this is about society and classes and state having a stable, you know, world essentially, even even though I mean, even just the a freight train tunneling through, you know, around the planet. We're on a, a rock flinging through the universe yeah right what's the the difference same thing yeah (laughs) so i don't know there's you know there's a lot of it it can be amazing those the way stories get put together like that and uh in that format i mean i i still i kind of get more of that when i read a book Mm -hmm. than i do when i watch a movie but it seems like i guess it's that's really just the fast paced as opposed to the slow burn of a book you know the the well, sometimes at, there are allegories and you know stories that that really do reflect like the writer's fears or 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 concerns, like uh, Animal Farm. Yeah, you know, yeah. Uh, or like Mouse, the comic, the the uh, I guess graphic novel would be the more appropriate way, but Mouse M A U S. Never heard. No, it's an amazing story. It's written in a in a comic book graphic novel format. And they're basically anthropomorphized anthropomorphized mice that is basically they live. It's like a it's like a Jewish family that I think lives in Brooklyn in New York, and they are telling their kids the story of the Holocaust. Oh, wow! Okay, it is. I read it as a as a kid in elementary school. Yeah, we were studying like World War Two. Huh? And it was it was it's a really incredible, right? Right, like just work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and you know, books. I, I, it's obviously as opposed to a movie. A movie's packing it all into a hundred and twenty minutes or whatever, mm-hmm. and a book, you can take a lifetime to read it if you want. Yeah. And so, with that sort of slow burn, you actually you have such a huge amount of emotions and thoughts and queries, questions, all this sort of stuff going on in mm-hmm. your head while you're while you're sort of doing it, but. Uh, I don't know. A movie, I don't even know what I'm trying to say. I enjoy them both, but I guess if, I, if I'm if i really looking to stimulate the brain, it's it's definitely reading a story rather than watching yeah. one. I think movies really have to have that element of commercial success because they're so expensive to 
produce and right, right, right. Them. It actually has to make money. So maybe some of the more meaningful elements do get a little watered down for for a broader appeal. I never thought about it that way, kid. Because I mean, a book uh, these days you can write a book and publish it on Amazon cost you zero. Yeah, and it's out there. Yeah. Your story is out there. You can't do that with a movie. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I. You could do it like you and me could do it right yeah, now with like yeah. this little camera and throw your it up on software. YouTube. Done. Yeah, you could still do it. Ten million views. <laughs> Easy. Uh, oh, that whole views game, man. <laughs> this is like one of the first times in my life. Well, I shouldn't say that. You know, when when Tommy got me to upload some of that stuff on TikTok mm-hmm. years ago, uh, that was the first time I'd ever experienced. You know, watching number counts of views and likes and things like that, and and again, in my mind, it just equated towards this will help with the book. Yeah, um, and so that was sort of the impetus for that. But it was the first time I sort of lived in that world. Mm-hmm. Anything else I'd ever done, uh, social media wise, was always just so small that you know it was like oh I'll put that up there so my friends can see it right you know yeah uh, and that was that was pretty much it and now trying to sort of build up a little bit of a thing on YouTube again for hopefully all this stuff the podcast and and maybe getting back into presentations things like that yeah, yeah. and uh, my brother who and if anyone's listening Chris has an amazing YouTube channel called Lemon Beans. Oh, I love it's, Lemon Beans. It's it's very it's it's really focused on, I think dr- dramatic uh, videos. Oh, it's unbelievable. They're really good. There's a narrative and a whole point of view and a perspective, but they're va- they're based on gaming. Yeah, I mean it's all it's the games. If you know if there are any gamers listening, uh, the games he's he's linked in with were Daisy. Mm-hmm. Um, Tarkov, uh, Tarkov, and then Star uh, Citizen. Star Citizen, yeah, and, but, he, and he might be starting to do some reviews of of old games. Yeah, too. yeah. I think they're really well done. They're they're put together in a way that is familiar but also unique. You know, well, and they are essentially almost like what we were talking about before, uh, like small movies because yeah. the way he's able to, and he he really is an artist when it comes to editing these things together. And he's he's recording what's on his screen, and you almost you feel emotion like when he links up with somebody else, and they're running around trying to, you know, stay away from zombies or whatever. Yeah, I'm sitting in there like, oh no, don't do that! Oh, <laughs> oh man, he shot you, and like all this stuff, and you, you kind of feel it's like he's built this this character up, and and watching them, especially when they're like 30 minutes long. Yep, they're it's fun. amazing because you just get straight into it and. The way I mean, obviously he has he has immense skill when it comes to editing the things together, mm-hmm. and his his creativity in it is yeah. is second to none. It really is great. I like how he does the narration, and then he'll flip it over to like his in-game recording, where you hear like his voice in the game, yeah, which yeah. is very different from the narration voice that he uses sometimes. Exactly, so they're yeah. kind of like this omniscient narrator, like this third person or first person, and then you, you get into the action, uh, like in the minute where everything's being recorded so it's not like him retelling it it's him putting the the viewer right, right into, into what it. he yeah. was yeah for the first time and so you're reacting at the same time to the same things well watching him do that and sort of his techniques really was helping sort of inspire me with some of the the videos that I've been doing where just trying to you know I'm doing this narration uh, but I I actually found a way so I can 
I can finish a piece that I've done mm. that has different clips of sailing trips and stuff in it. I'm narrating over the whole thing, but then if I want to add in a clip that actually has its own audio, I figured out, okay, I can just take that whole thing and then split it in half and then do that. And it, I can see how it gets more. I mean, he said that essentially it's, if he wants to put out like a 15 minute video, it's probably 40 hours. Yeah, that sounds right. Oh, 40 hours. I wonder if you'd be able to like, oh, inters- do that. like you would splice in part of your trip that, that has a very visual element to it. And then you can get a green screen right in here and pause it and then walk in like a weatherman. Yeah, right. And then kind of point things out. Like, so yeah, this is it's, it's, this uh, is where you... And then you just walk back off. Here's and, where oh, the trouble started. Right, yeah. Okay. <laughs> and then you just walk off, said, okay, let's roll it. And then you have the actual live yeah, video yeah, happening. Right. Like, <laughs> oh, jeez. You know what I've always wanted to do? And I, I maybe, maybe I will this year. Who knows? If I end up up here, I, I might possibly do it. But so there's a lot of really cool graphically cool uh, weather forecasting mm-hmm. sites like windy and um you can if you green screen it behind you if you get one of those then you can sort of play weatherman and i've always wanted because i've i've stared at these these files and these forecasts out on the boat for years now mm-hmm. And gone up and down the East Coast multiple times and gotten caught in all the bad weather and all the good weather and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. But actually go and do, like, every every couple of days, do just the East Coast passage weather. and and But do it in a, a really juiced up sort of weatherman awesome. format. That could be you know? awesome. Be like, whoa, do not leave jersey for south carolina that would we be got so a little cool. pressure system coming off of hatteras which is gonna kick your yeah. ass <laughs> or even like go through like your map like what if you blew up one of the nautical maps that you used and you and that was like the wall behind you and then you'd be pointing to like the route that you took oh right, right and right. match that with footage you know oh, and, and all see, that like good brainstorming yeah they're all you know it is it's amazing the ideas that people come with up with just when you sit and start blabbering on yeah and green screens green like when i I was back at my mom's house when chris got his and it is literally just a sheet just a green sheet just a green sheet yeah hung it over two things and angled the 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 camera to have his frame in it and then he put it on his software and he kind of kept tinkering he brought in that red leather like matrix yeah, chair that, that Morpheus sits That's on. That's where I've seen that. Chair it looks before. like it. It, it looks, looks a lot like it. Like yeah, it. same color of the the upholstery. Yeah, yeah, it's that old classic sort of '60s '70s yeah. style. But if it only if it only costs you like whatever it costs to get a little green screen of I don't know how big the measurements are, but they're not that big, and and you have this GoPro camera, and yeah, I don't yeah. know if there's expensive software that you need, but you know you got everything else that you need yeah no no no. true true well it is yeah i i don't know i at this point i'm i'm just about at my limit for how much stuff i i want to be taking on Mm -hmm. at the moment um but pretty soon a lot of some of the footage stuff that i'm doing will come to an end once i you know get the last like 20 short videos out or right. whatever because the the trip ends. Right. Which is kind of nice, you know. It's not like this this never-ending eternal tunnel that I'm trying to go down. It's more of like, well, there's only going to be so many and then that's over and then I move on from it. Like with the long form story about the trip around the world, mm-hmm. I'm finished part 4 
And then I've got five, six, and maybe seven. So I have three more of those. And then, again, you have to sort of grow the next idea straight from nothing, right. um, which I think is kind of cool because it it keeps things a little bit fresh. Yeah. And, again, I'm so new to the, to the actual, like, putting effort into creating videos for YouTube yeah. that I don't know how any of it's going to go. Yeah. Um, you know, it seems like people enjoy it. And, like I said, if – if anything, my my sort of goal would be to to be able to do things like the podcast and and some more videos and things like that, and actually be able to sustain myself. Yeah, and stop living disgustingly under the poverty <laughs> line. Well, I, and I have two questions, but they're not exactly related. But I don't want to forget them. So the the first one is like you mentioned that just watching Chris's videos kind of gave you some ideas and inspiration about like how to. Mm-hmm. Is there a is AKA a- I ripped him off. <laughs> yeah, just thanks, cause. total plagiarism. Yeah, but <laughs> is there a community of like modern content creators that you're a part of that you get to like ask questions about? Like, I know oh, the- you definitely could. Yeah. I, I I think that th- YouTube is is one of those things where it's a really gray area when it comes to copyright infringement and stuff like that. As mm-hmm. far as uh, you know, when it comes to like music and putting songs in in videos, they'll get you. Boom, that's cut and dry. Right. But, you know, if I see a video that has, you know, somebody telling the story of, of you know, of some sailor and I see how they do it and I'm like, oh, you know, I think I could probably do that mm-hmm. and like add my own little twist on. But there's a lot of people that will just be like, I'm going to copy that yeah. word for word, do everything I can because there's no real laws against that. Right. And it's it's a big faux pas for sure, and it's something I think you always have to think of yeah. when you're doing it. But I mean, there's there's tons of different genres in YouTube, so Chris would be part of like the gaming. Well, that's what I was gonna ask. Yeah. Is that not just like sailing or adventuring or things like that, but the the genres and the creators that are putting out maybe like creative, not necessarily best in class, but tactics on that apply to everybody yeah like yeah. length of videos or like you and francesca were talking about what time what time to, you put to, yeah, exactly, yeah like how many like do you drop two a week is it a monday and thursday and the the question the other question that i didn't want to forget is when you're now tracking all this data more and obviously you can see like views in real time but do you get a sense of are there views on mobile or on a computer um, i i'm pretty sure it tells you all that it, yeah. it, you can you can see why like not only what they're watching on, uh, what cities, where it's, yeah. where your traffic's coming from, the age of the people that are looking at it. Yeah, and you might be able to pick up, like on YouTube, whether it's the YouTube app or whether it's Chrome or whether it's Safari, mm-hmm. and then if it's an iPhone or a Galaxy or yeah, know, there's oh, yeah. other operating they, systems. and Their analytics yeah. are crazy. But then you good. can optimize, because if you know everyone's just watching on your phone, you don't have to worry about this big you know crazy landscape exactly if it's only going to be just on your little well and you know optimize it for night viewing because everyone's on their right right exactly (laughs) well and that's that sort of thing is you know with with the short videos the you know youtube's answer to tiktok was uh i the only good thing about the fact that i had no idea that when you're filming with an iphone you really should be doing it landscape Mm mm-hmm um, so I did all my filming vertical on that first trip, and, yep. but luckily, you know, they all of a sudden came a, uh, a platform for that, that sort of well, style. Cause they realize that that's how people take 
videos. They don't, yeah, well, because yeah, it's two hands, exactly. this is one. Right. It fits your face better. You yep, know, all, and it's, yeah. it's perfect. But I, I do remember when I, when I got back, I was like, oh, man. Because when I wanted to upload a few of the things, I it was like two huge black voids on either side of this time thing. And or I'm it's like, like reflected, you know? Yeah, that I guess a, a part of me thought when I first started doing it, I was like, oh, there's got to be a way to like modify this and like stretch it out or whatever. Yeah, no, but then no. you lose the, yeah, because then it's just like your face. Yeah, like your exactly. You exactly. lose everything up or down, yeah. So I don't know. I mean, it. you know, like anything, it's just sort of, I I have the time to do it after work and before work, and um, yeah. I don't know. It's it's fun. Well, I know that Fran- Francesca has Instagram or has TikTok. I don't have TikTok, but I have I saw the Instagram app. You don't have the Instagram app anymore. But no. I, but like I said the other day, there was one random clip of some dude like coiling a line in mm-hmm. a cabin, and it's like what it's like to live on a boat. And I'm like, if this guy can do this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jerome's footage <laughs> has to be you a would mountain think, compared to this guy's molehill. And all he all he did was add some text and like put it in a loop of him coiling something right. and like, you know, wrapping him. And so, and I've been looking for it to show up again naturally on the yeah. Instagram feed. And I want to send it to you just so you can have an idea of right, right. how low effort <laughs> it's crazy. It like I say, the, the algorithms are an enigma. I was watching, uh, I think it was on a Lex Friedman podcast, and they were talking about, you know, the algorithms and and how they're dealing with trying to, you know, enforce the community guidelines. Mm-hmm. And the guy was just like, we don't even, like, the, the cat's out of the bag. There's so much content now that we can't control all of it because yeah. it's too big. Only the algorithm can we don't even know how it's doing. Like it's it's like turning into this almost like the the sci-fi AI monster that yep. you know, it's like, oh, people are gonna start praying to the AI YouTube algorithm. Well they're getting like, so much data every second, <laughs> like how many taps oh, and what the insane well, and, they, and they've done it all themselves. It's so easy. Because they put a GPS thing right in the phone to so know exact like you said, like exactly where they are, <laughs> what device, what operating system what app and then also the hashtags that are like you can also you can track how many like what hashtags doing yeah oh yeah yeah. and they're getting they're getting data they're getting millions of points of data every second probably every every little tap and then every swipe and then every like and then every comment and then all that engagement and you can it's it's bananas it really is and you know people wonder you know why we're in an energy crisis and it's like well it takes power to run Every, I mean, you think, look at this, we get three phones on here and, and a computer. computer. Well, uh, although this stuff on my side of the table is powered by that solar panel out there. That's true. Which took a lot of coal to produce. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Yeah. I don't want to get into that debate. We're getting close to an hour, and okay. uh, I figure we'll save that for next well, time. I, and I found a picture <laughs> while we were chatting. So that's what Petritus looks like on grapes. And oh, it is, it is pretty moldy. Oh, okay, yeah, 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 for sure, huh? Ooh, yeah. And you can find bottles of Sauternes around here for like a couple hundred bucks. That kind of looks like the kind of mold that uh, that I was seeing on the boat. Yeah, <laughs> it does uh, not look pleasant. Yeah, yeah. I can show you a video afterwards of uh, some of the mold. Yeah. When I got back. Yeah, I'm down. You know, up in the bow. I feel stuff. so bad about that. Yeah, it's pretty gross. It's kind of, it has that feeling of yeah. you are in some sort of apocalyptic scene because there's this monster blob that's growing. Like War and, of the Worlds. And you try and wipe it out 
and then it comes back. Yeah. And there's, you know, if you let your if you let your imagination go wild, it's like, well, it's going to start to get inside of me. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you're a germaphobe and you're washing your hands and you're peeing in bottles and you're out there on the water and Yep. Well, we all know how that ends up. <laughs> yeah. It's no good. <laughs> well, man, I I you know, I got to tell you, I I tried I was thinking of so many different things that we could just sit and chat about uh, because you know whenever I'm sitting with you I I always it, it's it's always pretty amazing because you're you're very well read and and everything and very smart intellectual person Thank probably you. one of the one of the top ones that I have on the oh show gosh. no offense Sven no Sven Sven is as well His, the the conversations with him are, are fantastic but it's one of those things where uh, sometimes it's nice just to spit. Like have a little junk food conversation. Totally. And yeah. thank you so much. No, I I love doing this, and I think that sometimes it's the it's the um, you know that my the, the the general direction that I tend to go. The tendency is to talk about wine and food and restaurants. And yeah, yeah. We, we kind of checked that off early, and then we went into other exactly, other directions because exactly. you know I'm I'm not like an active sommelier on a, on the restaurant floor anymore. The wine that I am interacting with is just as a consumer, just like everybody else. And yeah, I work in this, in this role that's kind of restaurant hospitality adjacent, but it's not with the people who are producing the wine or with the people that are drinking the wine. So a lot of the stuff that that's still in my brain is, is pretty atrophied from when I was like a very active wine person, Yeah, you know, or like studying for exams or doing that. And there's a, there's a, there's a, Good thing about that is I don't have to stress about knowing everything anymore. No one's gonna. Yeah, I don't take a theory. I'm exam. not gonna get a flood of emails it, like you know. He's wrong. He's off his game. They say actually pronounced Petritus. Yeah, <laughs> you idiot. Well, I mean, no pun intended, but I also don't want to put you in a bottle. Yeah, so to speak. I don't want it just every time you come on because I'm hoping there will be many more as well. But it's. Uh, I don't want it to always just be like, oh, well, Jerome's here. We got to talk about wine. Yeah, and it's not fun as a, as a listener to like listen to people drink wine. Like, it's not to me the the mm, the sound of like delicious. pouring wine in a glass and like swirling and like sipping and drink, all those noises are not pleasant to listen to when you're listening in earbuds. Yeah, like, that's, yeah, right. And there's no real way to communicate the experience of drinking wine in a in a podcast mm. it might be a little more effective in a youtube video yeah but it's yeah. My, the what i really the, the wine focused media are stories and and yeah, people yeah. traveling Where it's to these places from, yeah the experiences that open up to you around that bottle of wine yeah I, not that's, what's in it i totally think so you know and and it's not like a the, the wine is kind of difficult to to get everywhere like even at at talk where I worked before uh, the pandemic, we had probably like once a month or once every two months, this like talk wine club. Mm -hmm. And it was literally me and a buddy or me and two friends, two, two colleagues of mine. We would, we'd use, we'd use our platform like sell tickets, but it basically Friday at four, four thirty. probably we try to do it once every four to eight weeks, depending on oh, everyone. You go busy. online and watch it. No, no, no. We do it in person. Oh. So we'd we like send out a calendar invite and we'd see like who's actually interested and we'd get like 20 or 25 or 30 people and we'd say, okay, it's gonna be 20 bucks a person. And we'd take all their money and we'd go to a liquor store and we get four bottles of this wine, four bottles of this wine, four bottles of this wine. I'd bring it in on Friday. I'd make a little PowerPoint thing with like pictures of where it comes from. Oh, wow. And we'd pour it around and we'd literally just talk about it because talk is hospitality and restaurant and wine 
adjacent such a dumb word, but it's true. We have these people that are working so closely with restaurant owners yeah. and chefs and winemakers. And then on the other side, the guests that are actually booking restaurants and booking wine tastings and enjoying this stuff. Wouldn't it make sense if some of our account managers and hospitality team and design and engineers actually got to learn a little bit about wine too, just so we can just participate in that culture gets that everybody we're on with. that same page yeah. yeah and and it's fun too because the two people that i that i'm doing this with eric and Corey, are also wine interested they weren't sommeliers but they know a lot about wine they've traveled they've enjoyed wine in europe and across california so they they're kind of clued into it and i take care of some of the more technical stuff and then they talk about their experiences with it and kind mm-hmm. of the general and it's a really like good balance but you get a bunch of these people who have never really worked directly with wine before, and you say, okay, here are four different types of Riesling. They all taste different. What's your favorite one? Because their chances are that we're going to bring in a wine that you've seen on a wine list at, like, just buy the glass. You're yeah. like, man, that's 16 bucks. I'm not going to gamble, and I don't want to be the weird person that asks the bartender for a taste of it, so I'll just get the shark. <laughs> right, you know, right. Or I'll just get the, I'll just get a beer, or I'll just get a cocktail. Because they've never had a Sirtico or they've never had, they've never seen Nebbiolo like, and know kind of what it's like when you just have like a Pinot Noir there and they know that they like that. So, and so it was a chance to say, here's what all these taste like. You can find what you like and what you definitely don't, you know? And, and we got to do this every, every six to eight weeks during the pandemic. And I moved to New York. We tried to do it virtually. And I think there was some success, but yeah, it was like it's never the it same. was over Zoom. Yeah, and you know, yeah. and everyone had the same wine. Eric and Corey would still go to Binnie's, and they still pick up all the same bottles, and they'd like drop it off at people's houses that that signed up. Oh, for really? It. it was really cool. Yeah, I think I think the the extent that we could do it, it it worked. Yeah, but the feedback wasn't really there. Where I would literally be in it, like Corey and Eric and I would be kind of in front of these twenty five people with a slideshow of like. How cool is Mount Etna? Like it's an active volcano in Sicily. The grapes are grown at like this elevation which brings in these characteristics and how great is that and then we all get to taste it yeah and then we all get to kind of talk about it and chat not just like oh yeah it tastes like lemons but it's it's really more like what would you want to eat with this what season does this kind of feel like where would you want to be drinking this wine right right. is like on like on a terrace in italy or is it like a like a cabin, like big Cabernet. Like, is it snowy outside? Is this like warming you during the winter? God, you have such a passion. It's so for much it, fun. Golly. But you can't do it over Zoom. No, because everyone's can't. everyone's muted, or one person pours wine and kind of has some like small side chatter, and it mutes everybody else. So yeah, it's just it it, it wasn't really there. Um, no, it never is. I I did a few. I've done a few presentations and such online, and yeah. they're. Nothing. I mean, you know, even when I'm sitting there talking, going through this whole thing, there's part of my brain that's like, man, if I was on the other end watching this on screen, it is not the same as being there live on a stage and and trying to really share your enthusiasm or your fear or the story just with with people. But and it's fun at dinner like last night when we had those two bottles side by side, and your mom went back and forth, and that was really cool because I was right there and I was able to see. And talk to her about what she liked and what she didn't like about both. And that was fun. Yeah. Over Zoom or on a podcast, you can't really do that. Like everyone else no. is just kind of watching two people drink wine, and that's weird. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's weird yeah to me. It doesn't equate, I don't think. Yeah. But but the actual podcast, like with stories and with wine producers and talking about why they make wine a certain way that they do, or or where their vineyards are, or what the weather's like. And, yeah. and all that stuff is to me as a listener, 
much more intriguing. And so that's what I, like, I don't think that, I think we might have just discussed it earlier in the week, but I don't think that we should like bring two bottles of wine and taste them and then no, do no. weird slurping noises. I think honestly, if we were, if we were going to go full bore into a, like a, a full on wine podcast, like the, say the next time you're around, uh, it would probably be, I would think that like I would have you bring one of your favorite bottles of wine, mm-hmm. like your all time, like top five or something, just one. Mm-hmm. And we might, you know, drink it, but basically tell the story of that wine and all the things around that bottle and all that, you know, in an hour on a podcast and have like a conversation about it. Yeah. I think that would be pretty interesting where, you know, it's, I don't want to say it's cliche to always sort of wines should be compared to other wines, but it seems like that's sort of the whole tasting thing. It's helpful to, 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 yeah, have it kind of binary. Yeah. You know, like yesterday with your mom, it was, it was nice to be able to go back and forth because she's like, wow, this is much more, this is much less, yeah. this has the, this one doesn't. Because when you're just drinking kind of in a vacuum, you're like, I like it. And then you're trying to think back, what did I like about it? Well, and that's the thing though, is if we, we, we'd be breaking the norm mm-hmm. by just basically teaching about one in particular and then yeah i mean people might go out and they would try it and some would like it some wouldn't you know we cool know a shitload about it maybe next year if the timing works out the same way they did this year with a little bit of a little bit of planning we can go down to the area around traverse city like old mission peninsula and yeah. go to a winery and bring in the winemaker and then we all three could uh, do it yeah well that is that is uh <laughs> sort of on the on, on the, the horizon yeah is to figure out a way uh to be able to have a third mic nice that would be pretty cool you and i could just share one yeah right no it doesn't work that (laughs) way all right man well i know we've got to wrap this up but uh as usual man thanks for thanks for not only being here in michigan and in jerome'stown and stuff but uh i you know what i i must say it was it was wonderful to see you dead asleep on the couch here <laughs> right by the roaring fire out of Jerome'stown for like an hour and a half, like an hour and, a half. Two hours. and Francesca and I are just chatting away yeah. and but what that means to me when I see that is that as a person who is a hundred percent comfortable in their surroundings totally. and that's what I always want everybody to feel when they're they're up here yeah so. oh I mean I I mean just this the sleep alone has has been so much better yeah yeah American. right yeah and it's been a blessing that both of us were able to you know, in the past, we've maybe like worked remotely up here. So for some of the day or all the day or all the few days, we've had to like be kind of on our computer. Mm-hmm. And even though we might be doing some work just out here, we had to go in for phone calls and things like that. Yeah. This last week, we were able to both, we didn't bring work computers. We were really able to unplug and it's an absolute blessing. So thank you so much. Recharged and ready for the city. Yep. Yep. <laughs> After a quick drive down to Traverse City yeah. later today, which is a lovely drive. Oh, I I look forward to it, man. Yeah. I, I really do. Awesome. I might even I might see if Mox is down there and see if I can get him. Uh, and for the listeners, that's my cousin Nick. We had a podcast <laughs> about New Zealand long ago. All right, J. Rum, thank right. you so much, and uh, yeah, until next time. Thanks, Jerome. All right.